0: Hello and welcome to episode 410 of the Yellow Oil Pod. I'm your host Stefan Wurzko and on today's episode we have a special guest to talk about Dortmund's 3-0 win against Union Berlin, Sunday's duel against Borussia Mönchengladbach and to answer some of your listener questions and later in the show we will be joined by James from the Heart and Hand, the Rangers podcast to take a look at Thursday's Europa League opponents from Glasgow. So... Now I'm excited to introduce the host of the Ruhrnachrichten BVB podcast, Sascha Staat at Sascha Staat on Twitter. Sascha, welcome to the show. How are you doing?
2: I'm fine. Thanks for having me, Stefan. It's a pleasure.
0: <laughs> I know. I'm I'm so elated that uh, when I invited you, it was obviously before the Union uh, game that Dortmund actually took all three points home, and not only that, Sascha, you were rewarded with a very rare, the rarest of things. It's so rare you could sell it as an NFT clean sheet on the road in the bundesliga uh it was a three nothing win as i just said uh marco Reus with a brace scoring in the 18th and 25th minute and then rafael guerrero with a nice tap in, in the 71st uh Muwald had a goal in the 73rd minute but it was ruled out by var and now Dortmund have a 12-point advantage over the teams between 4th and 7th place in the Bundesliga. Not only that, also Bayern lost for the two to Bochum. But I'm not sure if we should contextualize that in, a, in any sort of way. <laughs> so Sasha, what are you making of this match where Marco Rosa made some significant changes to the team? Revert to a 4-2-3-1 with uh, Manuel Kanji as a right-back, with Mats Hummels as a centre-back uh, yet again. And of course, uh, we had a double pivot with Witzel and Dahoud and then, of course, Marco Reus back in number 10 position with Bellingham and Brandt as the wingers and Mahlen up front.
2: First answer which comes to mind is that I don't understand this team, to be honest. I don't get how you can lose at home to Leverkusen and they totally destroy you and then <laughs> one week later you go to union berlin which is a very good site they had a good season so far they're hard to beat at home and you go there and and you really show that you're up to the task i don't get it because i was in frankfurt to start the year for the local radio in dortmund and i was doing the play-by-play and i i I was wondering what the hell is going on. They were down 2 0. They should have been down 3 0 or 4 0 actually by half time. And then in the second half, actually in the last 15 to 20 minutes, they win the game. And then they beat Freiburg at home, I think 5 1, if I remember correctly. And then they get another win at Hoffenheim, a lucky win. But then, for whatever reason, they play like kids at home to Leverkusen (laughs) and then one week later they win 3-0 and you said before that it was the first game the first clean sheet away from home this season the first clean sheet away from home for Marco Rosa as a coach except for the cup win at Wien Wiesbaden if I (laughs) remember correctly yes so in the Champions League he didn't do it In the Bundesliga, he wasn't able to do it. And now at Union Berlin, I just don't get this team, to be honest. I don't get it because they have the ability and the quality to beat any team in the league, also Bayern Munich. But I just don't get how they lack this consistency. It's hard to understand for me.
0: Yeah, so what I found very interesting is what Mats Hummels said to DAZN after the game, and I'm only quoting this from Sport1 and Kicker and whatnot, because I, obviously, being in Philadelphia right now, do not have access to the zone. But he basically said that there weren't four players against Leverkusen with a vested interest in stopping counterattacks and that they should have listened to the coach' instructions more carefully. And then he also said that against Union Berlin, Rose still reacted with a double pivot that added stability because there were four or five players to defend after turnovers. And he then said, let's be real, you can't survive in the Bundesliga when you only have two or three players secure the backfield. So um, I, I think there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, first of all, that Hummels clearly said that the players obviously did not listen to whatever the instructions to Rose are, but also the the changes and directions of Marco Rose himself. Because you, I, I think... If we look at the Leverkusen game, you can really uh, see how comical Dortmund's defending was at times, right? How uh, unserious they were in trying to defend Leverkusen's main strength, which is the counterattack. And I think the Wietz goal, um, the, the second goal that Leverkusen scored was an absolute world-class beauty. But nevertheless, uh, Dortmund also just allowed it very clumsily. So... um what what do you make of uh, Hummels, who maybe, I don't know if he's the vice-captain, but obviously a very important voice in the locker room, says things like that so drastically after the game?
2: I think it's it's great. It's great for the team because they need a wake-up call. I mean, the first three games of the, of the year, I already said that, oh, okay, let's forget the cup game at St. Pauli, but let's focus on the <laughs> Bundesliga. I think that the main issue was they totally lacked players who really wanted to defend and you can only win games and then you can go on and win titles if you start to defend it's it's not working the other way around you can't always score two three or four goals to win games I mean (laughs) their attack is that good that they most of the times they do it but sometimes they they just can't do it because it's too many chances they concede it's too many Good players on other teams to create chances, obviously, and I think it's good for the locker room and for the players to understand. And also, I think that the real captain of this team is not Marco Royce. The real captain of this team is Mats Hummels. I think we agree on this. I mean, he has he has given interviews in the past where he was crystal clear, and I think that's the only way to to go forward. I mean, what to hide? It's obvious for everyone who's watching the games that they're not able to defend in a proper manner. I mean, if you look at the standings, they conceded 36 goals already. I mean, like this, it's impossible to to finish first. I don't say that they are able to finish first if they had a slightly better defense. I don't want to assume it because maybe Bayern Munich would be more focused as well. We don't know (laughs) that, but (laughs) I mean... Let's let's think about it. At the end of the season,
0: it will be like
2: 50 goals against. That's yeah, way I think they
0: they are on track. Uh, they're right now conceding on average 1.86 goals per game, and they're on track oh. to score 55 or 56 goals, however you want to calculate it. And that's the worst record since the 07-08 season. So basically, uh, it's the worst record since Thomas Doyle. Yeah, it says it all. I mean, if teams
2: like, I don't know, Arminia Bielefeld or Wolfsburg, <laughs> mm-hmm. and they were on they were a slump, like, I mean, a really bad slump, Frankfurt, Bochum, Mainz, they all concede less goals than Borussia Dortmund. Why? Because players are not focused enough. I mean, the biggest in the example, the best example, is probably Rafael Guerrero, who's a world-class offensive player in my opinion, one of the most underrated may be. Unfortunately, he is injured every now and then, but he's a very, very good player. But he already said, I would prefer to play in the midfield, but he has to play in the back four because there are no other options. I mean, Nico Schulz is, is not a real option. So he has to play in a position where he doesn't like to play. And then it's all about how professional a player is. And if a player is not 100% professional, he won't adapt to the position. He is some kind of free style player who's always moving up front. Okay, his teammates know it, but he has to work also on the other side of the pitch. It doesn't work like this. I think he's the perfect example. I don't want to put my finger on Rafael Guerrero and say (laughs) it's all on him, but I think he's a very good example on how a, a whole team... Has to work on both sides of the pitch. Yeah,
0: and uh, I said it last week already. Uh, the Leverkusen loss uh, reminded me of the Peter Bosch era when Peter Bosch got fired and then afterwards basically said, where well, um, in order for my plan to work, 100% of the team needs to buy into that. And you know, it's a, it's a counter-pressing style where you push up high, and uh, if one cock in the machine doesn't work, the entire thing breaks down and you concede. A, load of counter-attacking goals and that's pretty much the same thing that happened against Leverkusen because in the first five or six minutes you saw the game plan from Dalton was to press high but uh, at some point not everyone is uh, doing his job being in a position making the correct run and all of a sudden you have uh, the entire field open up because the spaces are just too far and uh, if we look at That, I think this is what Marco Rose wants to play as well. But uh, I think he has come over the week to the realization that uh, he can't do that. And uh, I think the lineup changes uh, speak to an adjustment that he is maybe uh, for now taking a step back from his own philosophy just in order to stabilize Dortmund's midfield. Now, obviously, you can play the way you played against Union Berlin. Uh, because they don't have the offensive py- firepower than maybe other teams. But nevertheless, uh, the double pivot with Axel Witzel was uh, uh, yeah, a stabilizing factor in, in that way, uh, as uh, Hummels said it. And uh, also, I think that the style of play itself, the entire approach to the game was completely different. Because um, I thought that Dortmund had a very cautious approach. I think in the first half, they had about, what, 72% possession at some point is where they uh, played a very risk-averse style in possession and uh, basically just tried to pounce on, the, on your own errors if they uh, if the opportunity was there, but they weren't really trying to push forward with high-risk passes or anything. It was more like when you play FIFA and you're <laughs> sitting on the one elite and you're just passing it among your centre-backs. That that's what it looked like to me. So my question to you is, do you think there has been a more general rethink uh in the in the rose camp or do you think that uh we will go back to more uh i don't know pressing style of play more offensive style of play attacking minor style of play very quickly
2: I think it might depend on the opponent, actually. If you play against Augsburg, Hertha or whatever team fighting against relegation, I think he will play a more offensive style. But if he knows that the opposing team is a quick team, like Leipzig, Leverkusen, Union Berlin can also be quite quick. I think he will he will choose this approach, which he chooses on Sunday. Because what I like about it is that he he learned quickly right now because after one week, he decided to, to change his philosophy, at least for one game. We don't know for how many games, but at least for one game. There are really stubborn coaches out there. Lucien Favre was probably the most stubborn coach ever. <laughs> I think Peter Bosch <laughs> uh, was very stubborn too. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. That's true, and it's also good if if coaches stick to their system. But I think he understood that after a defeat like the one against Leverkusen, that the team needed some kind of stability. It was very important for the team also to have the clean sheet in the end. Uh, after the disallowed goal by Kevin Murwald. I think it was very good for the team to get the clean sheet. And I think if you if you now you're in a position where you actually it's It's almost impossible not to finish second. Maybe they finish third if Leverkusen can can keep this going for the rest of the season, but they're also playing Europa League, so I'm not quite sure about that, and probably they will finish in second position nonetheless. So I think they can they can try out a lot of things and they can also still focus on on buying the approach of Rose's tactics even more, that the players buy in more, like you said before. All the players have to buy into the system and not all of them have. Maybe some of, some of them just can't because it's not their style of play. Axel Witzel probably is just not made for this kind of football and he will leave in the summer anyway. So that's a different matter. But, but still, you need the players to play this kind of football and it's not 100% Marco Rose's squad. I mean he didn't make up this this team. He still needs some new players to to trust or or let's say he needs to bring in players he trusts. Like Zakaria would probably have been a, a perfect player to come to Dortmund now he went to Juventus. It's a shame but yeah, he needs to to adjust the, the roster a little bit more I think.
0: Yeah, uh most definitely. So uh, a couple of players I want to talk about in this game obviously um team captain <laughs> de facto team captain marco royce uh will embrace brace two really well taken goals and uh it was in the 18th and 25th minutes so uh i i think those goals came at a very good time for Dortmund do to to settle them even more into the game i think the first five minutes were a bit shaky but afterward they took a lot of control without really going forward um But uh, yeah, I think very important for him to uh, have a positive impact again, because I think he has been uh, uh, the aim of a lot of criticism recently. Uh, Deservedly so, I would add. Um, What do you make of him? Obviously, a lot of uh, stuff was said about him playing in his favorite position, the number 10 position. Uh, What are you making of this performance from Marco Reus?
2: I mean, if you score a brace, you can't really blame the player, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's also very hard to judge him because in the games where Dortmund is winning and he's scoring goals, everybody says, yeah, the team played well. So nobody's really praising Royce as much as they should, maybe. And when they're losing, it's all on him. Of course, he's the captain of the team, so <laughs> he will get a lot of blame. That's, that's uh, how, the, how it works. But I think in the end, his season overall is still quite decent. I mean, he has had worse seasons and it's also been um, quite a, a smart decision not taking part in the European Championships last yeah. summer. So to be honest, I hope that he will not go to Qatar in December and just stay in Dortmund and focus on the, on the end of his career. I mean, probably has two more seasons left in the tank because he's been injured quite often. And at some point, I think it might be smart also to have him come from the bench. Yeah. So that, that he can get a rest. Exactly but what I said last it. week. Exactly. Yeah, that. Especially when
0: Gio Reyna is back, you need to rotate more because I honestly, he looks overplayed.
2: At yeah, and stage. I think if you can sell it to him, if you can sell it to the media and to the people going to the stadium, I think the people going to the stadium, they will understand anyway. Yeah. But if you can sell it to the media and to himself, <laughs> I think it will be very good. for. Maybe it can extend his career at the club for one more season. Maybe. You know, It's not like, yeah, it, it might be. But he also has to understand that he's not the same player he used to be he's not the player he used to be 5 years ago he had some more injuries but i still think if you if you look at it okay 21 games 7 goals 8 assists good so 50 points in 21 games it's all right but he's playing all the time let's not forget he's playing all the time so and maybe the load was a little bit too much so yeah i think it would be good for him to to focus uh, on on having games where he knows he has to produce like this one at Berlin I think he knew he had to to have a good game and uh, yeah he he showed up so what to say
0: yeah uh, exactly what you just said so yeah maybe uh <laughs> I was I'm obviously watching the Philadelphia 76ers uh, these days and they played the Cavs uh this weekend and Kevin Love Uh, checked into the game and he's now he's obviously I think he's 34 so he uh, is uh, you you know used to be sort of the the right hand man of uh, LeBron James when he was playing there but uh, now he's a a rotation guy and uh, he basically said that right now uh, he is enjoying basketball more than ever than ever Uh, which I find remarkable and maybe that's the way to sell it to Marco Royce as well um, you know, just just a pitch from my from my end here. Um, but uh, yeah, there's another player I wanted to um point out to before we maybe move on, or not move on, but uh, to another controversy, and that's Dan Axel Zagadou because I think Julian Brandt said, uh, was it to Bundesliga or someone, um, that he was uh, maybe his man of the match, um, after this uh, comical and horrendous mistake after Leverkusen. I think it was very important for him to bounce back right away. I think having three learned centre-backs on the field uh, overall had Dortmund, especially when it comes to set-piece defending and whatnot. But nevertheless, uh, it's not easy for him to A, come back from injury and then uh, have to readjust to different back lines all the time because this time it was Mats Hummels to have his uh, direct partner. And of course, you always, as the left-sided uh, centre-back, have to cover for uh, Rafael Guerrero as well. So my question to you is... Um, What are you making of this performance? Because uh, to me, he played really well. He made smart decisions. Uh, I don't recall any horrendous mistakes this time. Um, And obviously, a a drastic improvement from the Leverkusen performance, which I think is very important for him to show.
2: Well, apart from this uh, comical goal against Leverkusen, he had not such a bad game against Leverkusen. He had this mistake which led to the first goal of Bayer, but generally his game overall was not that bad but of course we are looking at this one mistake and one week before I was watching the amateur team in the third division and I was I was watching the I don't know the last half an hour and he he conceded a penalty shot to Osnabrück, in the, I think in the dying seconds of the match or like 10 minutes to go. And then in the end, Osnabrück was still able to equalize the game. But I think we have to be a little bit patient with him because he's been out for a long time. We all know that he's able to play on a high level. Maybe... He's still not as consistent as we would love him to be because we all see the great ability he has. I mean, probably everyone uh, who's watched him play loves the guy. I mean, he's also a quite humble and nice guy. So he's he's the whole package. He is skillful when it comes to the size he has and also obviously the weight he has because he's a big guy. Uh, He's strong with his head. He understands the game. He's not as slow as you might think. So he's a very good player and he's still quite young, but he's been injured a lot of times. So I would like to forget the Leverkusen performance, basically, (laughs) to be honest, because, yeah, because it can happen. It was just like one fluky goal. I mean, a horrible mistake, all right, but he even showed up at the rest of the game against Leverkusen. It's not like he stopped to play the whole game, you know, and the other goals they conceded, it was not his fault at all. So if you watch the game against Union Berlin you saw already that he's he's up to the task so I would like to to see that he's going to start like you know maybe 10 games in a row to judge him even better because after such a long layoff because of injury players need time usually you say okay if he's been out for 6 months he needs another 6 months to get back to his old form. Obviously, with defenders, it's a little bit tougher because if they make a mistake, it usually ends up at the back of the net. But for strikers or offensive midfield players, you can take your time. But with him, it's not that easy. But they need him right now. So I think Marco Rosa should just go on and trust him because he's the future of Borussia Dortmund if they want to and if he wants to. And I think basically both sides want him to be the future of the defense of Borussia Dortmund. Along with Niklas Zula, so yeah, I mean yeah, they I they
0: will rebound w- every <laughs> every ball they get. Um, uh, speaking of rebounds, a uh, long-suffering Sacramento Kings fan, El Coolray, asks what happened <laughs> with Torgen Hazard that he wasn't with the team. Interesting question, Zasha, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know what to answer, to be honest, because I didn't notice. I just can tell you that I'm. I'm not convinced by Togan Hazard at all. I wasn't convinced that he was going to be a game changer when he joined Borussia Dortmund, because I think he had one good season at Borussia Mönchengladbach, and that's it. <laughs> so I, I think he had one season where he scored in double figures. So, all right, he's a decent player, a good player, not a very good player. So he's not a player who's getting you over the hump to, to pass by Bayern Munich to win the league title. So, they played 25 million euros for him. Okay, they also played a paid 25 million euros for Nico Schulz. So <laughs> that's a different case. But I don't know what has happened to him. Uh, I haven't read anything about it. I haven't heard anything about him from from my colleagues uh, at the Ruhr Nachrichten. Well, your colleagues at the Ruhr Nachrichten
0: because- reported, and I think Marco Rosa said it after the game: is that he was not included in the squad due to his uh, performance on the training ground. And.
2: Ah, oh, all right. I did. I, okay. That's interesting. I didn't read it because I was rather busy on the weekend, but still, yeah. I can. Oh, yeah. I can absolutely understand that he See, might be the training See, I thought I'd get count. the
0: the experts from the in here and then I have to read you your yeah, own newspaper, yeah, of course. basically. Ah. All right. Yeah. but yeah. well. <laughs> but no yeah that's did, what did you uh, that's what happened <laughs> yeah sorry <laughs> it's okay um this is uh this is what happened that which is uh what i wanted to talk uh, to you about because um obviously uh that happened in the context of giorena being sick and uh you know i thought that dot went to what the re- final i don't know 30 25 minutes of the game they looked rather gassed to me and i thought that's uh a good substitution here and there could really help them out, especially Julian Brandt uh, struggled quite a bit. He had a couple of uh, heavy touches. To me, he would have been a prime candidate uh, for a substitution. To be honest, I wouldn't say he had a bad game overall, because uh, he didn't. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, you know, Tong Hazard would have come in handy still to to bring him on. And uh, I think in the end it was Mukoko, Khani and Tigges who were the substitutes. So, um, you know... I think this is a nice signal to send uh, the rest of the team, uh, especially after that turbulent week, uh, let's call it that. Uh, what do you make from, from uh, that decision to uh, exclude a player in Torgenhazar, Hazard, usually not a player that I would suspect being a, a lazy player, um, to be honest, or a professional player, to to still exclude him from the match day squad, despite all the uh, other ailings and injuries?
2: yeah if you take in consideration all the injuries it's quite a sign to the rest of the team isn't it because the coach says okay if you're not performing on the training ground i just can't take you to the game it's not it's not possible so i think it's a big sign and i excuse myself for not having the information (laughs) (laughs) maybe next time you should just invite one of my colleagues no sorry anyway i just I just think that it's a very good sign because now every player should be aware that it really, really, really matters what you're doing during the week. Because if you don't, I mean, all right, if you have, I don't know, 200 training sessions a year, you can't perform at 100% of all those 200 training sessions. I think it's not possible. But if you have three or four training sessions during a week, I think especially towards uh, when you get closer to the game to the match day you have to give 100% in training i mean maybe you can have a day off in your mind sometimes your mind is just not at 100% and you can't perform that happens to every player even to the best players even to ronaldo or messi it happened in the past i guess okay maybe with them it's a little bit different but you know what i mean so but you have to have the right approach in your mind and maybe Togan didn't have it. So it's a very good sign for all the other players because lately we talked about that maybe, yeah, because Marco Rosa had so many injured players and all the players, they knew they would play anyway. Yeah. And now with Jorena back and now with other players coming back, it's not the same anymore. So now Holland will be back, I don't know, in a week or so, I guess. So then it will be even more different... Maybe Daniel Marlin will find himself back on the bench and not starting the games anymore. So they will be deeper on offense and they will also be a little bit deeper on defense One, once Tomar Munier is back. Emre Rajan is now back. So yeah, Marco Rosa has more options and I think that's important for all the players because it pushes all the players on a higher level. So th- yeah, that's quite normal. I, 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 so, I think
0: it, in national media and uh, overall has been dubbed uh, Wohlfühl-Oase in German, translating to feel-good oasis <laughs> or wellness oasis or whatever you want to call it. But, uh, I, I feel like that's a nice reaction, um, to counter that narrative a little bit that, uh, you know, players need to be a bit more on their toes in, in order to, to features. So yeah, I agree with you. That was a really good signal. And, uh, yeah, I think it's time now, uh, to, uh, relay a couple of listener questions. Um, uh Tom on Twitter asks uh why have BVB players and roses struggled to implement coaching tactics, uh pressing, defense, etc. And uh, he also wants to know what does Sasha think BVB transfer strategy will be in the summer to fix the team's inconsistencies? So <laughs> no pressure to answer that, just uh uh yeah, but but still I, I, I too would like your opinion on that.
2: Okay, first Regarding the transfer strategy, it all depends on how much money they get for Erling Holland and if they get money at all because he might stay another year at Borussia Dortmund. We don't know. If you get like 80 million euros for your best player, and he's your best player, I think there's no doubt about it, then you can like invest 30 million euros twice for having good players coming in with the right mentality, with the right skill set. But it's not easy because every good club is looking for those kind of players. I mean, Borussia Dortmund is not the only club looking for good players. And when other clubs know they just got 80 million for a player, of course, they will also hire the price. So you have to be smart getting the right players. I mean, we all know what kind of players they want to have. They would like to have a new left back instead of Nico Schulz. They might be looking for a right back to replace Thomas Meunier or maybe to back him up because we don't know what's going on with Matteo Morey. He's a very talented player, but he's also been injured for a long time now. He's working his way back, but we don't know when he will be back at 100% and then he will need time just like Dana Axel do. so we don't know. Then they will probably look into a player similar to Zakaria, who I mentioned before, who joined Juventus from Borussia Mönchengladbach. To, to replace Axel Witzel because Witzel was a very good player for one season. He was a decent player for the second season, and then he fell off. I don't know why. Of course, his style of play was adapted very much to the style of play of Lucien Favre, so it was difficult when the coaches changed uh, for him. He doesn't fit into this kind of football anymore, but he's not that fast. Uh, he, he's never been probably. He's a great strategist, to be honest but in this kind of football Marco Rosa wants to play it doesn't work anymore so they need a player who is more physical than Modahut and maybe more skillful than Thomas Delaney has been you know maybe that's a good example they they need a kind of player who's in between the two of those and that's why i like Zakaria so much he he's now gone but they need a player like this. Yeah, may may I Ma- butt in here?
0: We have a we have a listener question uh, that's um, sort of on that topic. I I sadly can't find it on on my uh, uh, sheet right now. But uh, someone has asked about Emre Can's uh, ball watching. I think it was for the Mürviç goal. Um, I've. When I, when I texted you, I, I said you were, uh, I think you said on the Rundnachrichten podcast that you were sort of wrong in your estimation about, uh, Emre Can's sort of skill set or, or his performances since joining Dortmund. But I do remember sitting, uh, with you in the VIP launch of the Dortmund uh, game in the Europa League against Liverpool. And he was playing for Liverpool back then. And you told me how absolutely disastrous you think he is, basically. I'm paraphrasing. Um, So my question to you is uh, considering the huge amount of wage that Emre Can is taking up uh, right now, should Sebastian Kehl and Michael Zog whoever, try to just tell him, dude, we're not planning with you anymore. We're looking for a player with a different profile or whatnot that uh, in the long-term future, uh, your name is not really included on, on Dortmund's team sheet anyway. And, you know, he said... He wanted to join from Juventus because of more playing time. Now, I think this thing is not working out. Um, he is not becoming my favorite player ever. I'm I'm going to say that I'm a little biased against Emre Can because to me he has made too many screw-ups for the uh, veteran that he supposedly is. So um, what's your opinion on, on that uh, player? Because I think if you're talking about the player that's between Dahoud and Delaney, and I agree with you, that's the sort of player that Dortmund need. Um, is Emre Can the guy you need to let go in order to free up the wages that you need for certain pla for that certain player?
2: The thing is that he actually could be the player, you know. But the the other thing is that. He's never really showed that he can be this kind right. of player. He should be with the, with the wages he gets. In, in theory, and he also, is ex- he's exactly
0: yes. that player, but in, in practice, he is not.
2: Yeah, and that's the problem because, as you said, he takes a lot of wages. He's a very expensive player. And every now and then, he's out with a muscle injury for like two or three weeks so that doesn't help players need consistency they need to play all the time basically to be at 100% be, to find their rhythm so it's it's not that easy and yeah he also i remember when last season i think he he conceded like three or four penalties to opposing teams maybe it was early this season i don't remember it w- were so many stupid fouls in the penalty area where i thought that like jeez what's going on with him he should know better because as you said he's a veteran yeah, he makes a lot of brain decisions on a, and, yeah, and his, his man yeah. marking
0: is atrocious sometimes especially when it comes to set pieces just think back to the city yeah because,
2: game. yeah because i think he's very motivated but he's just not good enough i mean all the motivation in the world doesn't help if you just don't have the quality I mean I'm also very motivated to be the world football player of the year <laughs> but I just can't do it because I'm I'm a shitty player. So all the motivation I I might have would never pay off. And I think Emre Can maybe just overestimates his abilities. So he wants to 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 get to the tackle but he's too slow. Or maybe he wants to play the pass but he's not accurate enough. So All in all, I think he's overrated, and I feel sorry for it because I thought he might be a good fit into Borussia Dortmund. I saw him play at Juventus, and I think he played rather well there. I follow a lot of Serie A, but Serie A is a a different league. It's much slower, so it's much more tactical as well. Maybe in the Premier League, he was perfect because he's a physical player. He he should have never left the Premier League, I guess, (laughs) But at Borussia Dortmund, where you have to control the ball for most of the games, except for the games against Bayern Munich, you usually have to control the ball. Like 75% of of possession is Borussia Dortmund. He's just not the right player. He He could, maybe he could have been the player between Dahoud and Delaney, but he just isn't that kind of player. But it will be extremely difficult to offload his contract because, I don't know, I think he makes like 8, 9 or 10 yeah. million euros a season and no other club should be this naive to take on this kind of contract. No,
0: I, I, I totally agree. That's just, uh, you know, the the trap that a lot of teams like Domona are in because they need every every big signing and every high paid earner they, they add to their squad needs to be... Uh, needs to be a player that works out 100% of the time, and that's uh, impossible. I think Nico Schulz is maybe the perfect example for that because Dortmund don't have a big backer like, say, Bayer uh, or, or the Volkswagen AG or any other uh, where you can just endlessly uh, make mistakes and then rectify them uh, when they don't you know work out and then add Max Kruse or whatnot. Uh, Dortmund don't have that luxury especially when you try to compete with Bayern Munich and... Uh, Every of your transfers needs to be a hit and unfortunately just it, it's impossible to do. Um obviously uh I, I think I anticipated Nico Schulz not may, maybe not being the right fit. Um uh, but uh, yeah, it's unfortunate. Uh, but I also agree with you. Um we uh have another question from uh B4B Cincinnati. First of all, condolences on that Super Bowl loss. Uh uh heartbreaking. <laughs> um he asks will Kiel go and buy a subtle level quality? center-back if Akanji leaves, or will they go for a center-back that is more of a backup? Um, now, I don't quite understand this question, because they did just get Nik- Niklas Süle, and we've discussed it on the, on the last episode, that in, in my mind he is the replacement and upgrade over Akanji uh, next year, because I do anticipate Akanji leaving. Um, obviously not 100% guaranteed, he could also, you know, let his contract run out and leave on the free transfer next season. Um, but, uh, nevertheless, Dortmund are linked with, uh, Nico Schlotterbeck, uh, very, uh, highly. I don't know if you've has, have asked your colleagues about that. Uh, what are the chances that, uh, a guy like Schlotterbeck, for example, is playing in the Dortmund shirt next season? And, uh, again, what do you think Dortmund need to, um, do at the center back position on the transfer market?
2: We've talked about it in our last episode. And I agreed with my colleague Jürgen kors that he's a very interesting and promising young player. He's also already been called up by Hansi Flick for the national team. And I think that he would be a great fit, but maybe not this summer, but next summer in 2023. It might be a more a better decision to get him... A year later, so you can either sell Manuel Akanji now for 30 million euros, more or less. We've heard rumors of Manchester United being interested in him, and yeah, you can use that money to buy Nico Schlotterbeck right away, or you say, okay, we can find a deal with Nico Schlotterbeck already. And we know that we will lose Akanji for free, but we also don't have to pay any kind of transfer free for Nico Schlotterbeck because he's arriving on a free transfer, transfer as well. Mm-hmm. well so, in your personal yeah. opinion,
0: do you think that Dortmund can get Nico Schlotterbeck because there are a lot of rumors around him from other international clubs? And you said uh, before that Dortmund are not the only team in the world trying to send good players. So do do you think, even though he's heavily linked right now, that this is uh, even a realistic uh, deal to make? Or do you think that his talent maybe has even exceeded Dortmund's level? I don't know. Just in the estimation of other teams with deeper pockets. No,
2: I I don't think it has already. I mean, he's not playing on a world-class level in the Champions League every week. <laughs> I mean, so uh, I I wonder what kind of clubs you have in mind Stefan if you say that it's a club with a uh, club with deep pockets. So which club could be more attractive to Nico Schlotterbeck at this point of his career than Borussia Dortmund where he could team up with a national team player he knows in Niklas Süle and B the future core of Borussia Dortmund's defense because Mats Hummels won't play for another five seasons. Hummels is 33 years old right now, if I'm not mistaken. So he will have one or two more seasons at best. So afterwards, it's all, it could be all Schlotterbeck and Süle and Zagadou. And we also have Somalia Koulibaly, who's said to be a very talented young player. So if we're talking about clubs like, I don't know, Tottenham, Everton, those kind of clubs. Would it be more appealing to Nico Schlatterbeck to go there? Clubs who don't qualify for the Champions League every season at all. I mean, I don't remember actually when Everton has last qualified for the Champions League. But I mean, okay, he might be able to earn more money there. But then in Italy, is Italy interesting for Nico Schlatterbeck? I don't know. Because the clubs in Italy don't have more money than Borussia Dortmund. I don't think so. And is he a player for Barcelona, Atletico, Madrid or Real Madrid? I don't think so. (laughs) They won't get a player like him. So I think Borussia Dortmund is very appealing for the player. I don't know if you agree, but I think it's a very good choice for him.
0: I mean, if it's good enough for Niklas Zulu, it should be good enough for Nico Schotterbeck. Let's just put it this way. Yeah. Um, no, you, yeah. you, you asked me whether I can think of a different club. No, which is why I invited you to answer that question. You just answered it. So, um, let's move on. Uh, obviously I will have a segment about the uh, Rangers game later, but nevertheless, we have Steve Berkowitz who's asking more in a general term. What would it take for B4B to win the Europa League, but still qualify for Champions League next year? Um, obviously, uh, if you win the Europa League, you are automatically qualified for the Champions League, um, to answer that question. But, uh, I think with a 12 point cushion right now, I feel like it's, it will be very hard for Dortmund to, to give up, uh, a, a Champions League spot in the Bundesliga. Um, but, um, you know, we've impossible. Yeah. Pr- pretty much. Um, we've, we've just seen Dortmund defend well for the first time in a, in a very long time, basically since the, the Freiburg game um with a with a different mindset obviously Champions League season did not go as well as Dortmund had hoped but um that being said i think until the sending off of Mats Hummels in uh, against Ajax in the home match Dortmund had a very good chance of actually surviving the group um and uh, maybe a couple of injuries uh for that Sporting away game also played a major key role i mean Nico, Nico Scholz literally was the guy who gave up uh you know the the goal uh, that sort of uh, was the straw that broke the camels back. Um, now, obviously, the Europa League group is uh, still very tough and Dortmund will have a lot of games in order to make it through. Um, but let's take this question seriously nevertheless because uh, Dortmund are still a very good team on European stage. And even though the, Europa, uh, the Champions League group stage wasn't what they had hoped for, I still think that uh, they are not that much of a different team that uh, you know made it to the quarterfinal in the Champions League last season and really gave Manchester City a run for its money. So um, uh, in order to answer Steve's questions, what, what do you think Dortmund's chances are in that competition? And how do you think they will approach it? Well, first
2: of all, they have 12 games left in the Bundesliga, just to, to get that clear. If they win half of those games, half of those games, so that's six 18 more points, they would finish on 64 points, so they will easily qualify for the Champions League and the Bundesliga. There is absolutely no doubt about that. So, regarding the Europa League, I think they should approach it with, like, we want to win this competition at all costs. Actually, at all costs. Because it's the one international club title they're still missing, first of all. And it would be great for their club collection. And also, I think... Now with Rangers, maybe you don't have the the best team when it comes to quality as an opponent, but it's a big name in European football. Still, it's Glasgow Rangers, so there's also some history. At, as Stefan Cloos in ninety seven, a goalkeeping a goalkeeper who won the Champions League with Borussia Dortmund back then, and Claudio played Reyna. for Rangers afterwards. Yes, and Claudio Reyna. <laughs> so yeah, um, I mean there's some history regarding that. So I think it, it's a nice matchup. You have to advance. They're absolutely favorites to, to move on to the next round. And there are many good teams still waiting in this competition. So it's, to me, it's like a sort of mini Champions League. Yeah. And I think if the stadium is, is back at 100% capacity for, I don't know, maybe not the next round, maybe in the next round it's 50%, but afterwards it's 100%, you have great matchups Historically, great teams to play. I think the fire will be back. You have uh, night games with the floodlights on. I mean, uh, maybe against teams like, I don't know, who's still in the competition, Napoli, yeah. Napoli uh, Barcelona, play Barcelona, whatever.
0: Which is, which is very yeah, very helpful, yeah. to Dortmund. that two of the main favorites, I would say, are taking each other out. At least one, one yeah, of them. Yeah, so, will. I
2: mean, I- imagine in the next round, you play against Barcelona. I mean, <laughs> what, what do you expect from the Europa League? Everybody was blaming the competition some years ago, but now, I mean, and I still remember the last time they played in the Europa League or the last time they really played in the Europa League with uh, Thomas Tuchel as the head coach and we had this dramatic game in Liverpool. We all still remember it and it was just, it was just an emphasis. It was just the Europa League. So <laughs> if, you, if you don't consider this competition as a series and a good competition to win I don't know and that's that should be the approach of the team because they're out of the cup they screwed it up in the Champions League horribly against average opponents like sporting I mean no offense to them but it's it's an average team yeah. so I think they should be highly motivated to go very far in this competition
0: yeah I agree with that um, so before I let you go uh, we have to preview I, I'm, uh, I'm afraid to say because I will not have time on Friday or Saturday to to preview that game. But quickly, you know, Dortmund do play against Borussia Mönchengladbach. Um, I th- if I remember correctly, they, they won the reverse fixture. Um, Gladbach just came off a 3-2 win against Augsburg, but before then they haven't uh, really won much uh, in, in, the, in the games before. Um, they had a 1-0 draw against uh, Arminia Bielefeld. They lost against Union. They lost in the cup very horribly, 3-0, to Hanover and were counterattacked two pieces there and <laughs> um, they also lost to Leverkusen the only other game they won uh in in this uh, Rückrunde is against Bayern uh, the opening fixture of course against Bayern because Gladbach always been against Bayern um so uh this is obviously yet another must win game for Dortmund because it's a home match um but it's also at the the back end of a Europa League fixture um what do you expect from this game quickly? And what Dortmund do? Oh, let, let's say we, we have the Leverkusen philosophy and we have the Union philosophy on, on coaching approaches. Which one would you like to see and which one do you expect to see? And uh, I do expect Erling Haaland to be back in this because I think the Rangers game will be too soon, but he should be back for that. And so will be Gio Reyna. I expect probably a mix of
2: both but it will be very hard to find the right mix. I mean it depends also a lot of on the results against Rangers on Thursday how they will approach the game on Sunday tactically. If they screw up against Rangers, the approach will be probably to destroy Borussia Mönchengladbach <laughs> and maybe they 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 will have a different more defensive approach if if they win against Glasgow Rangers and I think it would be, at some point, maybe even smart, I thought that during the first half of the Leverkusen game, before Leverkusen scored the, their second goal, that it might be smart to have the opposing team control the game. Let them play, because <laughs> they're not used to it. If you let Borussia Mönchengladbach now play, and Dortmund can start to counterattack, congratulations, <laughs> it's, it's, it, will be, it will be an easy win. So maybe you have to not just find a different approach when it comes to be more offensive or more defensive, but maybe also have the opposing team control the ball. And I I don't think that Borussia Mönchengladbach will be able to find that many solutions against Borussia Dortmund. You mentioned their recent results. Yeah, of course, they went to Munich and won the game. <laughs> and uh, I still don't know how because uh, Jan Zama, I think if I if I have it in mind correctly, had a monster performance in that game, and they they stole it or he stole it actually. And so yeah, if you look at them, they conceded more goals than Borussia Dortmund. They scored 30 goals in 22 games. It's a dangerous team, but I think right now they're just not on on a level anywhere close to Bayer Leverkusen. They're not anywhere close to Union Berlin also.
0: I mean, they're 13th so in the Bundesliga. Exp- they're in no man's land. They're probably not really fighting for European spots, to be honest, and they're also no. not there in the relegation zone. So I don't I don't know yeah, but what Adi Hütter... It's
2: just four points, you know. It's just four points to the 16th place. So they still have to to look at it and and be sure that... Yeah, that they win some more games. I don't think that they will end up in the second league. No chance because the team is too good for that. But uh, Max Eber just stepped down as, as a, let's say, general manager of the team or the sporting director, however you want to call it, because he just couldn't handle all this football shit anymore. <laughs> Excuse my, my choice of words, but he just was fed up with the overall situation and I can absolutely understand him. So there's a lot of things going on in Mönchengladbach and I don't think they're stable enough. If you win at Ox, against Augsburg 3-2 and you have to fight hard to beat them, I think it, it's crystal clear that Dortmund will be the favourites on Sunday and I, I think that they will find the right approach and probably after this win against Union Berlin, after the disastrous performance against Bayer Leverkusen, <laughs> They they will probably um, be on a roll right now. I expect Dortmund to be on a roll for the next few weeks, not for the rest of the season, obviously. But at least for four or five games, they will be on the roll.
0: Yeah, interesting. Obviously, I just remembered that Dortmund, in fact, did not win in, in, in Gladbach uh, this season. Uh, there was a one-nil loss. No, they lost d- one dip, I think. Yeah, yes. where Dahoud mm-hmm. got sent off. And uh, the key to that game is that uh, Gladbach's players, and in a very Adi Hütter-style way, if you think of his Frankfurt days, and they just roughed Dortmund up and Dortmund were really just shaken by it. Um, I don't know if uh, Gladbach can replicate that sort of performance, but uh, it, it was a very chaotic game and it was very wild. And uh, the only concern I have about Gladbach is that I feel like that they are similar to Dortmund sometimes, a team that excels better against uh, you know, the high profile opposition of the Bundesliga and then just slump around against other teams. But uh, I think uh, beating Augsburg sort of disproves that a little bit. Um, uh, but uh, yeah... I don't know who will be available uh, for that game because there's a game in between, so there's uh, uh, no sense in, in talking much about it. But uh, if I can get a scoreline prediction from you, then uh, be my guest. 3 1 for Dortmund. And the Rangers game? I
2: think they're superior, so much superior to, to Rangers uh, that they will have a clean sheet uh, to zip. Okay.
0: I'll, I'll take it. Um, Sasha, it was a pleasure to have you on. Uh, I love your expertise and it's nice to hear you as the pundit or the expert and not as the host for once. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed <laughs> yeah, that, that uh, differing role as well. Um, we Absolutely. we also have a ton of German listeners, so uh, if they don't already follow you and listen to your show, uh, uh, you are probably in best position to, to pluck all that content. Uh, where can they find it?
2: basically on twitter that's the easiest way to follow me at sascha start <laughs> very simple
0: fine yeah well you can listen what uh how many episodes do you have on the podcast now it's over 300 right Three hundred, three hundred six. 306
2: tomorrow we will just uh yeah not just we will uh upload 307 yeah
0: so you're still a bit behind, <laughs> but you're catching up. Yeah, a little. Uh, yeah. I mean, the the run of B4B podcast hasn't been around for as long as the other right? How many years in the running is that now? We started in August of 2016. Yeah. See, we're, we've we've been around since the 2012 season, I think, or 2013 or so. So, mm. hats yeah. off. Ten years. Yeah. yeah. This is this is our tenth season now. Um, so uh, yeah and and still going strong (laughs) still having prime guests like Sascha Stad on so uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh, star journalist almost (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Sasha, thank you very much for coming on Uh, I really enjoyed our discussion about Borussia Dortmund and we will be back now uh, with James uh, to talk more about Rangers Alright, as promised, I am back with James Forrest from the Heart and Hand, the Rangers podcast. I'm very excited to uh, talk with you, James, now about this game. Uh, I just had Sascha start on uh, and he was talking about how Dortmund need to take this competition more seriously than any other competition. So uh, you obviously didn't hear that part, but uh, our listeners did and uh, I hope he created some excitement for that game, uh, certainly has me a bit more psyched. So, um, James, you are obviously uh, the expert on Rangers and I must admit I watch zero to none Scottish football. What is the feeling uh, at Ibrox right now going into this game on Thursday night?
1: Well, I certainly don't want to be called V expert. I don't want that bullseye on my back. <laughs> uh, I'm very happy to very happy to speak to you about this. Um it's exciting. You know, it's exciting. It's it's definitely one of the one of the biggest uh ties that we've had for a good long time on a European scale. And we've we've played against some big clubs uh in recent years, but you know, this is a really exciting occasion for us. Uh, but one that we don't really have any, any real feel, fear over uh, because we don't consider ourselves to be huge favourites for, for for this game. Uh, we're realistic in that sense, or at least certainly I'm realistic about uh, the chances of progression in terms of that because Dortmund have a lot more uh, you know, money behind them in terms of squad and the type of players that you guys have got. Um, but... It's a kind of it's a win win either way, I suppose, and you know, to an extent because we would still be disappointed if it, if the tie was over after the first leg, provided that it. it was in Dortmund's favour, of course. Um, you never know, we might win five nil uh, in in Germany, and then that would be rather astonishing. Um, but yeah, it's it's very very interesting uh, to test ourselves and test the squad that we have. Uh, against a lot of you know such well-known names uh, in a European football context, so I'm really looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, so for people like me who really not know much, uh, who are the key players of of this Rangers team? Obviously, you you're looking at the at the strikers and whatnot, but uh, I, I guess also in defensive midfield, usually where games are decided so um, anyone you want to highlight uh what is the groove of this team right now, do you think this team has a good identity in this uh you know following the coach's instructions and uh you know working together as a unit are you are you feeling good about this team or is it a bit of a more turmoil uh going on right now
1: it's 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 been an interesting uh bit of time for us you know when when Giovanni von Bronkhorst arrived at Rangers, he had an excellent run of, run of games up until our winter break, uh, which happened after Boxing Day. Uh, we won every game in the league. We uh, secured a qualification to this stage of the Europa League. And you know we had players who were really standing up and playing, playing really, really well. Uh, we had a difficult return to action after the winter break. We only got five points from a possible 12. Uh, a very disappointing old firm match, um, which I think was an important wake-up call for the players and, and the coaching staff because it meant that afterwards we changed things up a bit. And I think there is a bit more of that identity in the sense that we're aware of what it is that we're trying to do. And it makes a lot more sense for us watching in the stands in terms of what the players are trying to do, what the coaches want, to see from terms of a play style. Uh, whether that's something that we see in these games against Dortmund or not, I don't know. Uh, whether, whether whether Geo decides that he wants to do something slightly different for these specific games. Uh, I would be surprised though, because I think you know it, it's working well in terms of a, a good pressing game uh, which very much is led from the front. And our team right now is very much led from the front in terms of our main striker alfredo morelos he is absolutely our most important player at the moment the way that he's been playing Uh, he is very much the complete forward you know scores goals drops deeper to help try and influence the play but has you know found a real energy level and you know has done very good things in this competition before uh in 2019 20 he was the top goal scorer in the group stage you know he thrives on the big competition like this uh and you know being very aware that there's going to be a lot of people throughout the world watching this game he will want to impress so we have a lot of hope that he will be someone who will be an important player for us in terms of that other players that are important too are captain james tavernier who'll play at right back uh, he uh, has a remarkable um, goal scoring and assist record for someone who plays uh, in the back line for a defender. Uh, he's a penalty taker. He's very good from the penalty spot. He is good at getting forward and wanting to get crosses in. He's very attack-minded. Uh, and in the midfield, Joe Rebo is someone who has really, you know, improved a lot this season. Uh, if anyone watched the African Cup of Nations and saw Nigeria's games, then maybe would have uh, seen just how good he has become in terms of an attacking midfielder although the way that we want to play now maybe leaves a little bit less emphasis on him in terms of being the important attacking outlet. Uh, There's maybe more of an emphasis on players like Ryan Kent or perhaps uh, Scott Arfield uh, in terms of the wider attacking areas uh, to provide that additional threat. Um, we, We have a very, very good squad, very happy, and it's a good depth of squad as well because there'll be guys who won't start the game who we feel could come onto the field uh, and make a difference later on in the match if required so we we have we're very proud of our squad uh, going into this game and we we expect them to certainly you know put up a fight at the very least
0: how is uh, amadiallo uh, working out because i think he's sort of your uh, right winger if you will
1: well amadiallo is a really interesting one because obviously we're you know very very aware of how talented he is he scored after five minutes of his debut, uh, and, and you know his first appearance for us, and I think we had the idea that he would absolutely be, you know, someone who would play right wing every single game, uh, and this kind of game would just be one that he would he would definitely thrive in. Our last couple of games where we've we've looked a bit better in terms of our overall play, he has not started. He's come off the bench uh, because we've gone with Scott Arfield, who plays a he's a different style of. winger when he plays in the wing uh kind of player that can play a number of different roles uh our field is more about running into the spaces that open up in the defense rather than having the ball at his feet whereas ryan kent on the other side he thrives in picking up the ball and running at a defender so you know there's different styles depending on what side that we we look to attack so If we're attacking down the left, Kent will be the player that'll have the ball. If it's down the right, then we're more likely to see James Taverney have the ball. If we go with that lineup, of course, because there's every chance that we may well say for this kind of game, it's the kind of game that with the space that may well be afforded to run into, that Amad Diallo might thrive from that. So he may well start, but it wouldn't overly surprise me if he was if he was one of those options to come off the bench. In this game, um, I, I, I think there are more in terms of our star players and players who are on form. You are looking more to the front than the back. I think that's very fair to say. You know, the defense we are we are uh, certainly in need of you know more options at centre back. We were hoping that Liam Baligan would be. Uh, okay to play alongside Connor Goldson but he picked up another injury so there's a worry that he might not be able to play this game in which case uh, we would need to play Calvin Bassey because our other centre defender Philip Hellander is not in the European squad Uh, so we would need to go with Bassey who's more of a left back than a centre back I think people certainly believe um, and that would that would put us a, a bit more of a disadvantage in the defense if we had to if we had to go with Bassi as a centre back, as good a footballer as Calvin Bassi is, of course. Um, but what's also important is we have Alan McGregor, who you know anyone who who sees the videos in terms of the Europa League, uh, Twitter in terms of you know best saves of the group stage, Alan McGregor keeps popping up because he's the kind of goalkeeper that can pull out a, an amazing stop out of nowhere. Uh, even into his 40s, he's still uh, an excellent shot stopper. So, you know, Dortmund may well have the opportunity to have a lot of shots, but they'll have to be very good shots to get past uh, a very good goalkeeper in Alan McGregor as well. Um, the key for me is who would be the holding midfielder and who? how do we play that Um whether it be John Lundstrom who would play in that role, he's good at being quite tenacious at wanting to win the ball back. And I think if he keeps if he keeps that role quite simple, that'll work better for us in terms of doing <laughs> that job. Um, you know, less, I love less how you point out his limitations better. that way. <laughs> less, less, less fancy stuff the better. I think would be would be ideal from from my point of view uh, uh, if he's playing that because every time he keeps it simple he always looks better for it uh, in terms of in terms of in the sense of defence.
0: Do you expect Glenn
1: Kamara next to him? I, I think that's likely. Uh, I think that's a likely outcome in terms of, given who would probably be available in terms of, again, you know injuries, etc. Um, what would be interesting for me is whether Glenn Kamara would find himself playing further, slightly further forward and getting further forward as well. Um because trying to understand what his best role is is an interesting one. We've seen him play slightly deeper uh, to play that holding role, and you almost think, well, that's what he's going to do. But I think, you know, as part of the issue of our our run of games was where we weren't playing so well was he just wasn't performing well. Um, But if he's given a bit more freedom, that may well help him as well. So I would expect him to play how he plays would be uh, an interesting discussion point, though.
0: Yeah, so you've made it out of the Europa League group with uh, Olympique Lyon, Sparta Prague, uh, and Berndby, uh, which I think is mm. a formidable Europa League group, if we we're honest. um, You lost uh, once against Lyon and once against Sparta Prague. Other, other than that, you had wins and draws. Um, Overall, uh, how happy are you with your European campaign uh, and how the team sort of performed uh, results aside?
1: I for me i think that we have um we've we've done the minimum expect at what that we've expected in terms of getting out of the group that was that's what we would expect uh going into the Europa League because we are a team uh, and we've shown over the last few years that we're more than capable of making it to the knockout stages of this competition um for us in terms of our mentality especially right now you know, anything from here on in is, is purely a bonus because our priority is absolutely on the league. We want to retain our league title. It's a very important league to win uh, this season as, you know, the winners of the league would gain automatic qualification for the Champions League group stage. Uh that would be a huge, huge uh, achievement for us in terms of what that brings, you know, financially as well as the prestige of that as well. Um, yeah, you, so, you you
0: just said that. I think if I remember correctly, uh, when you won the league title last season, that qualified you for like what third or second Champions League playoff <laughs> round or so. Is that correct?
1: Just a third, yeah.
0: Yeah. So if uh, I I don't know, is it is it down to the coefficient or why is the Scottish Premiership now uh, have have a seeded group stage? Uh, place for the uh, for the league winner
1: well stefan the reason for that is because rangers has done so damn well in the europa league over the last <laughs> few seasons um we've been we've been carrying scotland in that respect um yes that's right i feel the seethe from anyone who's listening who doesn't like us already uh, <laughs> and, I, and i and i frankly welcome it um yeah, you know, our, our performances in Europe in terms of the results that we've gained and the the points that we've built up over over the last few seasons, uh, along with what the other lot have done as well, um, yeah, to a lesser extent, but that certainly helped. Having two teams, you know, making it to you know the second stages of European competitions, that does help bring things up a little bit uh, in terms of that, <laughs> uh, and that's what that's culminated in. But I think it's only for this season because I think there's other. Uh, other nations have have actually performed well so I don't think it would be a repeat you know the following season so uh, I think that's the reason why so that's you know that that's why a lot of focus for man that really raises the stakes and if you look at the league table you're one
0: point behind the other team (laughs) it's a
1: proper it's a proper title race this season you know it's can't imagine what that is. Yeah, I didn't want to say, but yeah, it's it's uh yeah, it's it's certainly not good for the nerves, I think, for anyone who's got a vested interest, that's for sure. Um so yeah, you know, if if, if you're saying to fans, you know, you'll you'll not disgrace yourselves in in this round, but this will be this will be where the Europa League journey ends for this season. Yeah, fans would be absolutely fine with it. You know, they get a you know, some people get a trip, not not as many as what it should be, but some people get a trip out to Dortmund. Uh you know to watch the team in a very very good stadium uh in a european football sense uh and then we get to host them at ibrox in the second leg and hopefully there's still plenty to play for and it'll be a great atmosphere in that sense um but you know it's 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 in no way would it feel like a disaster uh for us to go out it would only be a disappointment if we didn't do ourselves credit uh in terms of the way we perform in terms of the scoreline uh because you know we've we've proven over uh the past few seasons that we deserve to be at this level and we deserve to uh feel like we can hold our own certainly.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it and uh really want to see Dortmund to really, you know, take care of business uh in the home leg already because I don't think uh any Dortmund player would appreciate you know, the hell that is Ibrox to rain down on them (laughs) Uh, (laughs) if if things are not going their way. So um, from that standpoint, I I hope it's it's going to be, you know, easy breezy coasting, but I just have a hunch that it's just not going to be that way, Uh, especially not this season. So, um, yeah, James, before I let you go, uh, I'll ask you for a scoreline prediction. (laughs) And, uh, yeah. Then uh, please also plug uh, the podcast if listeners want to hear more from uh, your perspective ahead of this game.
1: Uh, these never these never end well whenever you're asking to predict. Uh, uh, so it's always it's always a tough one. Listen, I think you know uh, if if I if I was to think what a good result would be for us, you know, a two-one defeat would certainly you know be okay, although. Uh, that's obviously well, Three two thinking, defeat would even God. be better. <laughs> well, of course the the, the lack of uh, the lack of away goals now uh, obviously makes that less of a thing. But you know, if if we're what I mean by that, you're know, two one or three two or whatever. You know, if we're still in the tie, has the
0: away goal rule been disabled?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's done that. Huh? I, yeah. I I didn't realize it did.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, I, well, um, I, I mean,
0: I I think it did for the Champions League, but I wasn't quite sure if it also counts for the Europa League. So um yeah I'm the most well prepared podcast host in the universe right now. Uh, good thing for well, pointing. Unless, that out.
1: unless someone has unless someone has told me a massive fib on that one. Um, I'm, I'm sure then, they don't. They didn't. So. No I'm sure I'm sure not. Um, no. But no yeah like you know if 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 we're going into that and there's still a chance I think that's I think that's a good result. Um I believe that Dortmund will want to make sure that they try and finish the tie as best they can in the first leg. So I think, I think it, will be, it will be a tough one. Um, I never predict against my team, so it's going to be a 2-1 Rangers win on Thursday night. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'll take uh, that uh, uh, yeah, as a absolutely. prediction. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's fine by me. Um, and if people want to hear more from us, we are heart and hand. We are on Patreon uh if you have an interest in terms of that we we cover all things ranges as well as other football discussions i uh talk about european football as well uh including discussions on bundesliga of course um uh as well as all sorts of different types of topics that we, we cover on the site so you're yeah, welcome to that or you know we also do uh our weekly shows as well uh, if you have an interest in that so yeah you're more than welcome to uh, have a listen to us and uh Here's hoping there's still plenty to talk about going into the second leg, Stefan.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so uh, that's it f- from all of us uh, from the Yellow uh this week. We shall be back with a review of the Europa League tie against Glasgow Rangers and, of course, uh, a review of the Gladbach game next week. So uh, plenty to discuss then, I assume... You can follow James at Harden Hummus. <laughs> I think I, I, I hope I got that right on Twitter. And uh, you can, Absolutely. good. You can, you can follow me at Stefan Butzko on Twitter as well. You can follow all of us at Yellow Wall Pod on Twitter and Facebook. And if you want to subscribe to the show, go to theyellowwall.net for all the information you need. We are also on Patreon on patreon.com slash theyellowwall. If you want to support us, sponsor an episode or whatnot. Uh, please read up on there, and uh, yeah that's all I have left to say other than uh, as always thank you for listening and goodbye